Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. As you heard the title of my message today, A Fundamental Framework of Salvation, and by now you should have uh, two copies. The one is about the... Whoops the tabernacle, and the other one is a blank sheet, the same sheet that Pastor Agent lost last week, and, you know, sorry I would give you a quick summary of what he covered last week, but I don't have time, I'm going to be short on my time, my time, but don't worry, it's not going to influence my presentation, I'm not going to miss anything to it, just the main point of what he said last week, going through all the pluses which you are right here, what he basically said is that everything is under influence of Satan, who is influence, influencing the entire, entire world, and church included. So, today we'll be working on, on sal- salvation plan. So, as I said, salvation is a subject that is very important in the Bible. And there is so much confusion about it. You know, we can ask any people from any different denominations, and salvation means salvation mean different things to different people. If I would just ask you, just give me a, a word or two words instead of salvation, something else, something synonymous, something close, what would you use? What would you, let's say, would you personally, when I say salvation, what other words would you use for salvation? Redemption. Beautiful. Any other words that come into your mind? Safe. Very good. Restitution. That's right. Now, people argue about salvation. When salvation takes time? Is it just the one, life exp- one second experience of salvation lasts to the lifetime? What is the point of salvation? So we'll cover all of this. But just before we go to the Bible, let me tell you why it's so important to study about the tabernacle. And let me give you just a simple perspective. You know, we are so such a uh, you know, sophisticated creatures, men. I'm talking about human being here on earth. And when you look in the Bible, if I would ask you a question, how long did, did it take God to create man and the entire planet and entire universe in terms not just of time, but let's just say of chapters? You see where I'm going with it? If you go to the beginning of the book of Genesis, you know, it took only God two chapters. Two chapters to show us the entire creation and to show us the creation of the, this planet and also of us human beings. Now, on the other perspective, if you go to the book of Exodus, and what do you think? How many chapters got committed in the book of Exodus alone to speak, to talk about this structure, the tabernacle? Any guesses? How many chapters? Ten. Anyone? Ten. Five. Fifteen. Very good. What about fifty? Fifteen, yeah. You just go and check it. How much space, starting from Exodus chapter 25 to the rest of the book, got committed for just one and little structures that we talk about, that we talk about the tabernacle? Many, many chapters committed to the tabernacle. Two chapters committed to creation. That's how important it is. And let me tell you something else. If you don't fully understand this process, what happened right here, I think we'll have a hard time to understand what salvation is. Let me give you some points about why it's important to study the tabernacle in the wilderness and it's all its ministry. Why it's important. Point number one. Study of tabernacle help us in proper understanding of God's redemptive process. When you fully understand what tabernacle experience is all about here, I think it would be so much easier, at least it was so much easier for me to understand the redemptive process by God, okay? Number two, if you miss any of the points that I go along, I can give you later on. If you want some of the points, I can, I can actually give you a little bit later. Number, point number two, understanding of the tabernacle inform us, all of us, the sinful people, about the holiness of our God. Without the tabernacle, we'll have a hard time to comprehend how holy is our God and how sinful we are. Point number three. Knowledge of tabernacle help us to understand Christ's ministry for us. Because everything on this picture here, everything is about Christ. 
as we'll see a little bit later. Point number four. Knowledge of tabernacle shows us how a holy God can rightfully manifest His grace and mercy to us sinful people. And I will repeat the question a little bit at the end if you have some of the, you know, I know I'm going too fast for you to write all of them. Point number six. Understanding the sacrificial system within the tabernacle teaches us the God's view of various degree of sin in the Old Testament. Sin is not just sin. There are different degrees of sin in the Bible. Point number seven. The sacrificial system teaches us the great importance for the need of blood to atone for sin. Blood is crucial in the Old Testament, also in the New Testament, to atone for sin. And there can be many, many points. Let me give you this last one. Understanding of the tabernacle system is necessary to understand more than, I would say, half of the book of Hebrew, or a big, big portion, big chunk of this book. If you don't understand the tabernacle experience, you'll have a hard time to understand what the book of Hebrew is all about. So let's go to Exodus chapter 25. Let's open your Bible, Exodus chapter 25. And let's look at this magnificent, magnificent structure that God asked his people to actually build it in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 25. And let's say, let's speak up in verse 8. Verse 8. That's a command, that's a coming from God. God says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. Verse 9, according to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the, and the pattern of all its furnishing, just so you shall make it. Right here, at the, from the beginning, God says, I want you to build something, but I'm going to give you a blueprint. You can't just make the way how you want it. I'll give you the blueprint. I'll give you the exact instructions how to build it, and you will do it. You will finish it. Why? And verse 22, And there I'll meet with you, and I'll speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandments of the children of Israel. God will communicate with humankind at this one spot, at this one place. That's why he wants to build a, a, a tabernacle, a sanctuary for him. So I said, God gave the blueprint. That's the one big part, let's say salvation, okay? Let's go to verse, just go back to beginning at verse 2. The same chapter, verse 2. Chapter 25 and verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly, with his heart you shall take my offering. This is very important. God gives the blueprint. God gives give the design. Humankind provide the material and the labor for it. And, you know, I want you to think in terms of our salvation. God gives us the blueprint. He has a plan. We have to fulfill it. Willingly. Willingly. It's got to come from our heart. Willingly. God is not forcing anybody. In the wilderness, he says, I want every single one from every single family of the wilderness, in the wilderness to offer me an offering to me. He says, no, if you don't want to offer, you don't offer. He says, this offering I want you to give willingly from your heart. When it comes to the tabernacle. Now, so if you think about this structure, this tabernacle, it wasn't a huge size compared to the children of Israel. If you just go to Numbers, just to keep some numbers in perspective, just go to Numbers chapter 2. Numbers chapter 2. Numbers chapter 2, and in verse 32. There's some estimations about how many children of Israel were in the desert at this time. It says in verse 32, These are the ones who were numbered of the children of Israel by the father's houses. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces were 603,550. So just over 600,000 people. And all these men that were numbered are just the, the men who were ready for war. So that's exclude the women, the elderly. And, you know, and also this number excludes the Levites. So you can imagine this little structure 
was set up in the middle of the entire camp of Israel. This one little structure was serving over estimation about two to three million people. That's how important the structure was. So now I'd like you to go and just, you know, get your sheet ready so we can look at it. I hope everybody has a close by. I know that some elements is difficult to see. But you can just imagine, you can just picture for yourself, this structure is the middle of the camp. So it's surrendered by all the camps of Israel. And they were all pitching the tents according to the orders. Each knew exactly from what side they were supposed to pitch their tent, not just wherever you want to. And as you can see here on this picture, if you want to worship God, the first thing you have to do, you have to, you have to pass, you have to cross through the veil or through the door, so to speak. So you can see here, the first structure that you will see is the veil. So this was like kind of like a door. So let's say if you're pitcher ten outside on a flat surface, it was impossible physically to see what was happening inside this structure because the wall was very high. The only thing you could see was probably the smoke coming from the sacrifices and the aroma, smelly aroma like a barbecue. That's the only thing you could see. So now you have, to, you have to cross to the veil. So that was the first structure. You have to cross to the door. You have to cross to the veil. Now, why is this so important? Because for us New Testament Christians, we have to go through the same experience. I want you to open your Bible to John chapter, John, John, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse 9, Christ would say the same thing. He says, verse 9, I am the door. If you want to walk into it, he says, I am the door. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Christ saying, I am this door to this tabernacle system. You can cross, you can jump the fence, you can enter any way you want to. You have to come through this door. That's the only way in and only way out. There's no any, any other, there's no any other shortcuts. And when you look at the structure, when they would, whenever they would set up the structure, okay, this gate was to the east and the end of the structure was to the west. So basically when you enter it, you would always face the west. Why is this important? As Pastor Asian mentioned last week, all the other religions in today's world, they always face to the east and turn their back to the west. You know, many churches today on the, on the Easter Sunday, that's what they will do. Many priests will turn actually to the east and worship the God of Son, so to speak, you know. But in that day, God said specifically, when you set the structure, you will enter from the east to the west. You will always face the west. That's just one of the details that is in the Bible. Just flip over a few pages to John chapter 14. Speaking about the door, speaking about the veil. John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and and verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the true, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't have salvation except Jesus Christ. You've got to go through this door. You've got to go through Jesus Christ. And, you know, contrary to the, you know, popular opinion in this world that every religion leads to God, every denomination leads to God, is not true. Only one leads to Jesus Christ, leads to, the, leads, to, leads to God. And, you know, we don't have to go there, but if you're taking notes, you can write Matthew 7 and verse 13 and 14 when Christ says, you know, that narrow is the, narrow is the way that leads to salvation and the, and, the, and the broad is the way that leads to destruction. So that's exactly what, 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 what this means about the door. So as I said, when you were standing from the outside, you couldn't see anything what was happening inside the structure. But you were standing, when, when, when you wanted to see what's happening, you have to cross, you had to cross the door. Now, what, once you cross the door, once you move through the entrance here, once you go in, what would be the first thing that would get your attention? What would be the first thing that would get into your eye? 
and you see the altar. When you see the altar, just right by the altar, you will see the sheep, you will see the priest. You will see the bloody ground. You will see the blood all over the place. Everywhere. So that would be the first thing that you enter the gate. You will see blood all over the place. You will see sacrifice animals. What would be the lesson for us in all of this? What's the lesson for us in all of this? You know, once you enter the gate, you got to go to some blood. you got to go to redemptive blood, which obviously what you represent Jesus Christ and his sacrifice that he did on the cross. And once you go in, and let's say you brought some sin offering, what would you do when you, brought, when you bring to the temple the sin offering? You would bring the animal. You will lay your hands on this animal on its head. And you will say a prayer. You will, actually, you will actually convey your sin to this animal. And at the same time, the priest would cut its throat just to bleed the animals to death. And apply the blood in a different way to the altar and, and, you know, and, and spill it on the ground. So, the first object lesson here would be like, wow, it's marvelous. That this innocent animal is dying instead of me. And God somehow, in some way, forgives me my, my sins here. So that should be a very, very good object lesson for many people who were, were worshipping at that time during the tabernacle period. Also the temple period. But many of them didn't get the message. What it, what it was supposed to be all about. And if you go to Leviticus chapter 17, I just want to show you. Pastor Murray had a sermon a few years ago, just before the Passover, about different kind of bloods and how important was the blood in the Old Testament. But in Leviticus chapter 17, just one verse. So we are, you know, we are on top of everything. We know how important was the blood in the Old Covenant. Leviticus chapter 17 in verse 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your soul. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. That's how important was the blood. And that's why God allowed animal, animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. And just go to the New Testament because the same thing is in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. The writer would say the same thing in, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. And it says, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. So once you enter the door, you will see it. The blood was all over the place. You can't go anywhere farther till you pass through the blood. You can't go anywhere farther. So that was the brazen altar, okay? And we know there is so much to study here. We don't have... You know, we don't have much time to go and study what kind of material was built and all this time. Maybe some other time, you know, maybe we'll get another chance to do all of these little studies, all the technical details about the brazen altar. But let's just move on. Let's go. What, what would be the next object as you pass from the altar? What would, what would be the next, next thing that you see there? And that would be the, the lever or the basins. That would be a big container that would hold great amount of water. And the water was... And the water was for the priest to wash their hands and wash their feet just right before they would enter the next place there, the holy place. We'll get to there a little bit later. So, as you can see, the process of our salvation here, how it's unveiled as we go through. We go through the door. We got to come to Christ's sacrifice. You got to come through his blood. What's the next thing along the way? We have to be baptized. If you go to Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, the importance of being baptized. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. Right here it says, Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will become them. So we see how the process of salvation is slowly revealed as we move on from the entrance a little bit deeper, a little bit farther. And, and I want you to also read other scriptures. I want to see other scriptures in Ephesians chapter 5. We don't have to be immersed in the water. We also have to be immersed in his holy, holy words, in his, in his 
in, the, in, in Bible reading and study. Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 25, I know it's here addressed about husbands, but just, Husband, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And verse 26, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he may present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should, should be holy and without Blemish. So that was the point of the entire message, right? Of the entire thing about having the water, having the basins filled with water. Now as we move on, as we move on now, as you look at the picture, as we keep going, so we can see that we passed through the one door, there was the altar, there was the basin of water, now there's another door. There's another veil. And you have to open the veil, you have to cross through the veil, to go to the holy place. It's not just the one door. Now we call going to the other door. Once you would cross the other door, what would you see right away? I know it's so hard to see on this on the on the on this pictures, but right there, if we just cross there, we would walk. You will walk from east towards west. What you would cross there, right there on the left side, in this portion in this holy place, there was a candlestick. Some people call it menorah. It was a candle candlestick, right? So this candlestick was made from one piece of gold. It was hammered from one piece of gold. Can you see it? Do you know what it is? If you don't know, please raise your hand. I'll show you what it is. So we're not confused. When you walk through the door, right away on the left side, there's supposed to be the lampstand on the left side. Can you see it? All right. So this portion of this candlestick would hammer it from the one piece of pure gold. It had a central branch. And to the central branch were attached six, three on one side and three on the other side. So altogether were seven. One main and three a little one attached to the main branch. And the priest, priests were commanded to keep the light burning continually through the day and through the night. So this candlestick was burning continually. Why is it so important, brethren? And, you know, we can check it in Leviticus in 24 and verses 1 to 3. But let's go to John. John chapter 8. And the other thing that you will notice here, like everything here at the beginning, when you pass through the first door, everything is into, into the open. You will see the daylight. As you walk through the next veil and close the veil, it's darkness. The only piece of furniture that gives you light is this candlestick. Nothing else. You can't see the sun. You can't see anything. So it's diminishing lights here. Okay, It's only the candlestick. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And in verse 12. Jesus Christ would say, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus Christ already laid something to him that people have some knowledge what, what he's talking about. We're talking about the candlestick. But it's not just that. Just go to John 12. Just flip over a few pages to John chapter 12 and verse 46. 12 and 46. I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And John chapter 15, there are many, many scriptures. I'm just speaking and choosing as we go along that are closer, so we don't have to forward them back. In John chapter 15 and verse 5, we know, as I mentioned to you, that this whole candlestick was made from one piece of gold with a central branch and all the ones just attached to it, right? Look at John chapter 15 and verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I am him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Jesus Christ is the main branch. We are just attached to it. And he is the one who gives light. As long as we attach to it, we also gives light. As soon as we detach ourselves from it, we cannot give light. No way that we can give light. Only Jesus Christ, we can do that. And and you know, symbolism, when you look in the Bible, pure gold, 
what is the symbol of pure gold in the Bible? It's the symbol of deity and perfection, right? And this branch is made of seven branches. That's its completeness. That's the number of completeness in, the, in, in, the, in, in God's perspective. Number of completeness in the Bible, number seven. So just the little things like that, when you study it, piece by piece by piece by piece, it can help us to, to grasp this concept, what the salvation is all about. How the salvation is more, most like, like, like a process that takes place, got a beginning, it's got an end. It can be a long process, right? So as we move along, what would be the next, what would be, what would be the next furniture that's sent right there? I know we can't see there, but right on the right side, that will be the table of the showbread. Can you see it on the right side? So the candlestick will be on the left side. The showbread will be on the right side. And on this table, there were 12 loaves of bread that were changed from week to week by every Sabbath by a priest. And the showbread were eaten by the priest inside the holy place. Inside the holy place. Now, the other thing that I forgot to mention, anyone, anyone can come through the first door. As long as you have desire in your heart, as long as you felt that you're a sinner and you feel a need to repentance, you cross through this first door. If you feel, you know, thankfulness towards God and you want to offer some thankful offerings, you come through this door. And not everybody can come through the next door. Not everybody. Through the second door, only the priests were allowed to enter through the second door. Only the priests. I'll see the reason. We'll see the importance a little bit later. So let's talk about the table of showbread. It's called the bread of presence. It was always in the presence of the Lord. They'll switch it every week, but it was always in the presence of the Lord. What is that symbol of? What God wants us to? God wants to continue to have continual fellowship with men and through the form of fellowship and eating and sharing a meal together. I'll show you some important aspect. Let's go like to Exodus chapter 24. Just right after, after the, after the uh, consecration of the covenant. Just look up and what happened. Just see what happened in Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. And in verse 9. Then Moses went up also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they sought the, the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was, all, and it was like the very heavens in, the, in its clarity. Verse 11. But on nobles of the children of Israel he did not lay his hand, so they saw God, and they ate, and they drank. See how important it is? They ate and they drank in, in, in front of God. Fellowship with God. Just right after, after they ratified the first covenant. Okay? And, you know, you can go to some scriptures and see, like in John, like Christ so many times in the Gospel of John portrayed himself as a bread of life. As a bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. All the time. All the time. But let's go to Revelation chapter 3. Open your Bible to Revelation chapter 3. Now let's go to the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This concept of fellowship, like it was so important to God, it also was so important to the first Christians. They walk from home to home. They don't just stay together united in doctrine, in fellowship, but also in breaking the bread. Having the fellowship with one another. That's how it's important, not just for human beings, but also it's important between us and God. So as you can see, lampstand on the left side, show of bread on the right side. Now, there is another door right there. There is a third door. But before we cross the third door, there is something in our way. We can't cross it. There is something blocking our way before we cross the third door. And I don't know if you can see it on your sheet. I hope you can see it. 
is the altar of incense. Can you see it? You know what I'm talking about? You know what it is? What was this piece of furniture all about? So it was made of gold the same way. It was covered in gold all the way. And it was right in front of the curtain. Before you go into curtain, there was an incense. What was the incense all about? There was a specific instruction how they're supposed to make incense for it. And God told them specific instruction. He says, once you make it, I don't want any one of you to do the same amount of combinations of all different of, you know, spices and stuff like that to use it in your private homes. It's just for me and for God, okay? That's how important was this altar, right? And, and this incense was also the same thing, was to burn continually. And priests were doing this in the morning and in the evening every single day before the curtain, okay? And let's go to Revelation. I just want you to, I just, I just want to, Revelation chapter 8. Just flip a few pages over if you're there. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 3. Revelation chapter 8 and in verse 3. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunders, lightning, and an earthquake. So the angels who had seven... Hold on, I think I'm in the wrong scripture here. In verse 3, I started a little bit later. Verse 3, verse 8 Chapter 8 and verse 3. Then they, when the another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, he was given much incense that he should offer with the prayers. All of the, of the prayers of all of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne, before they entered to the next curtain, the next veil, the prayer, prayers of saints are very important to God. They're like a sweet, pleasant aroma to God. So as you see, all this progression as you walk, through different doors, through different furniture, right before we come to in, in, in front of God, we have to come in a prayer. That's why prayer is critical. Prayer is crucial for everybody, not just on the individual level, but also on the, on the collective level as a church. Church, they prays together, stay together, as many people have said it. And that's true. If we can't pray together, then how are we supposed to stay together? So that's how important it is of another piece of the furniture. Now, we are ready to cross the next door. I thought that, you know, many people thought there's only one veil. But there are three. There's not just one veil, there are three. So now, before we cross the third veil, as I said, everybody can cross to the first one. As long as you have the willing heart. Anybody. Need of repentance. Thanksgiving. Only priests can come to the second veil. Who could cross the last veil? Only the high priest. And how often? Only once a year. And after... Such a, you know, preparations. They had to do so much preparations. High priest was usually before the Day of Atonement. He was usually two weeks. He was separated from anybody. You know, everybody was watched. His replacement was also in place. Just in case something happened, the man died. We have a second man to walk in right away. And even though you read stories, that on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would actually go into the Holy of Holiness... Many of them had a, had a string attached to their legs. Just in case something happened, they fall down. We can't go through to the next veil. We have to pull him out. So that's how important it was, right? And now, what was the furniture, one furniture that was actually there in the Holy of Holiness? That was called Holy of Holiness. What was one furniture that was standing there? It was the Ark of the Covenant. And we're not going to go through some detail how it was built, what it was all about it. We can do it at home, or we can do it in some other studies. But, what I want to talk about it, what was inside in this box, in the Ark of Covenant? Do you know, remember what was inside in the box of the Covenant? Anyone? What was it? Ten Commandments. All right. All right. Let's go to Exodus chapter 16, and why, why it was there, okay? Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 32. Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill it and omer with it. We're talking about the manna, the bread that came, right? Fill it. To be kept for your generation, that they may see 
the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. So basically, what God is telling to them, we'll see a little bit later. I want you to keep it. I want you to keep it all the time so we will know how much you complain about me and how much you distrusted me. Okay? What was the next thing? The errands. Rod, right? Go to Numbers chapter 17. Numbers chapter 17. Numbers chapter 17. And in verse 10. 17 in verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. So we see there are three elements there. There is bread, there is rods of Aaron's, and you know what happened there. You probably remember the story when people Korah and others who rebel against the direct leadership of Aaron and God. And God says, now from now on, I want you to keep it inside the ark for generations to come. So we'll know why it's there, why, why, why you put it there. And look at the Exodus chapter 19, talking about the commandments, the tablets of commandments. Exodus chapter 19. Look what God promised to them. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6. Verse 5. Now, therefore, if, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, And these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So there is a testimony. A tablet of stones was also for them to remind them how rebellious, how sinful they were because they never kept the moral ordinance of God, whatever they asked them through the Ten Commandments. They all rocked them. And now, when he comes along to the New Testament, and you see Jesus Christ, and, you know, we can go to some of the scriptures. You can look at John chapter 6, verse 32. We don't have to go there for the sake of time, but you can just write it down. You know, Jesus Christ referred here. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me shall never die, but shall live forever. So this manna that was right there in this little chest didn't sustain them for eternity. It was just a symbol how they were grumbling and complaining in the desert, dying from hunger, okay? Jesus Christ fulfilled it to the 100%. The next time, you remember John chapter 6 in verse 38. He was in full obedience to the Father. To the last moment, to this life on his earth, he says, It's not my will, but it's your will. And he fulfilled everything what God commanded him to do. Every single commandment, he never sinned even once. And he became the righteousness inside of God for all of us. So you, you just, just, just to comparison the study from the... Example from the Old Testament tabernacle to the new ones. So, that's not all of it. We can go through all the sacrifices that were taking place in different kind of sin and degree of sin. We don't have time for it. Maybe at some other time. But if you will look one more time, you can see it, how wonderful the structure looked like. And one more time, everybody could access to the first door. Only priest can access to the second door. And only high priest can access to the last door. Okay? Now, I want you to keep the sheet handy, but we're going to transfer to the next sheet now. And, you know, I got this idea from Pastor Agent last week. When I look at this thing, when I check what he gave me, my first expression when I look at this thing, I look tabernacle. And I'm thinking like, wow. And as he was speaking already where I was, you know, my mind was already generating my, 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 my material, what I'm supposed to do next week. So thank you for inspiring me with your message. But you look at this sheet, brethren, have it handy, and you know where you are. Because it says here, you are right here on the, that would be on your right corner. Can you see it where you are? You are right here, right? Can you see it? I want you to write on the opposite side, on the left, on the left side, I want you to write here, kingdom of God. Because that's where we're going. And I want you to write here, kingdom of God, at the end of it. On the other side, on the opposite side, kingdom of God, right? I'll give you a scripture. Go to Revelation chapter 21. 
Revelation chapter 21. And in verse 1. Revelation chapter 21. You can write the scriptures down here. You don't have to. You can write in some other notes, but it's up to you. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Now I saw new heaven, and I saw a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. The night John saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. That's not the same old Jerusalem that is, you know, in Israel now. The new Jerusalem that comes from heaven. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So we are on one side. Kingdom of God is way on the other side. But our God is so loving. He is so generous that he prepared a wonderful plan of salvation for us. A great plan of salvation for us. And go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. What is the plan all about? First Corinthians chapter 15. And in verse 20. But, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by men came death, by Adam came death, by men also came the resurrections from the dead. For as in, in Adam, I want you to notice the language here. As in Adam, all die, no exceptions, all die. Okay? Even so in Christ, how many shall be made alive? All. All shall be made alive. All shall be made alive. Verse 23. But which one? In his own order. So Christ the first fruits, and afterwards, those who are Christ at his coming. And verse 24. And then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God, God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. So you can read the scriptures at the end if you want to. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 24. Without doubt, that will be the fulfillment of God's plan. Now, put right here on the top here, I put 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Let's read what 1 Timothy says here. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And verse 2, uh, verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And verse 4, our Father, who desire all men to be saved, all men to be saved, and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. So God has a plan, and God's desire in his heart that all men shall be saved. So that's God's plan, okay? So you have it. I, I wrote it here. You don't have to, but I wrote it here. First Timothy chapter 2. You can write it. If you don't have to, you don't have to write it. It's, you know, it's up to you. Now, we all know at the beginning point, Right here, and you can write here at the bottom. We don't have to know, you go, we don't have to go here. John 3.16, in all the scripture, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So right in this circle, big circle at the bottom, you can write John 3.16.17. So we don't have to know and reach the scripture because that's the most quoted scripture. So we all know it. But go to John chapter 6. So let's go to the starting point now. John 6 and verse 44. We also know the scripture very well. When John writes right here in verse 44. 
No one, no one can come to me unless the Father who, who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So that's where you are when you see the arrow. Right where you are, right where you are, right here. We can write John six forty four if you want to. John six forty four. So as you can see at the starting point, and try to picture the tabernacle. Many, everybody surrendered. I mean, the God's tabernacle surrendered by all the people everywhere. Now to enter it here, you remember from the scriptures. You can go there. You don't have to go there. But Matthew twenty two fourteen it says, many are called. Many are called, but few are chosen. So right here at the beginning, our God is sending invitations to many people. Many people are invited here. Anybody can come as they wish. Invitation is open. But out of the so many that are invited, only few will be chosen at the first resurrection. I'll get to that a little bit later. So, and also in Matthew 24:13, you can you don't have to go there, but you can write it down. Matthew 24 and 13, it says that through all these difficulties, it says only the one who will endure to the end, the one will be saved. And we'll come to this a little bit later. Now, let me flip my sheets here. So now on this, you see the first kind of like a, I call it the door, right here. You can write veil or you can write, write door one. Right here, where you are. The next one, that's the door one or veil, whatever you want to write it here. The next piece, right here between the first and the second, there is another veil. You can write veil 2 or door 2. If you get lost, let me know. And right here, write veil 3. Can you see it? Or door 3, whatever. So that's a door first, door 1. That's a door 2. And this one is door 3. Very good. And I'll go to a scripture that was read today, but we'll do it one more time. Rachel read it to us. Let's go to Exodus chapter 23. Am I going too fast? Okay, you want me to slow down. So if you, if you, if you, if you lost, just let me know. We can go back and Exodus chapter 23. And in verse 14. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. I thought that we have seven feasts. God said three times. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. And you shall keep what kind of feast? The feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Ebi, for in it you shall, for it, for, for in it you came out of Egypt and not shall appear before me empty handed. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year. So Passover or feast of unleavened bread, Pentecost and feast of tabernacle. There's three feasts, God says, you shall appear before me. And once you appear before me, you shall never ever appear before me empty-handed. Why would just God neglect the other festival? They're not important. So what I want you to write here, on top of the first door, I want you to write Passover. That's the first door. And I put under my Passover, I put barley, because that's what the, what, what, that was the first grain that was harvested right at the beginning of the spring. But you don't have to do that. And then between these two blocks, you can write spring harvest. 
And now on the top of the second door, I want you to write Pentecost. And under it, you can write wheat. That was harvest of wheat, Pentecost. You see it? Between the second door and third door, there is the full harvest. So you can write the full harvest between the second and third door. And right at the top of the third door, I want you to write the tabernacle. Now it makes more sense, right? As you try to fill up the form, it just makes, at least to me, it makes more sense, right? So we can write another tabernacle, you can write grapes. So, what else I did here, in this little triangle here that's pointing you from the first door to the second door, as you pass through the first door, you can write here, Christ's sacrifice, that's what you will see when you cross into the tabernacle, we see all, this blood, all the blood all over it again. So that was the Christ sacrifice, and right in the same area, we'll experience baptism. So you know what I'm speaking, this area here, right? Triangle here. Just write Christ's sacrifice and our baptism. And that's happened exactly what we experience during the Feast of Passover. Now, once you, once, you, once you enter to the second veil, the same triangle here, the same column here, you can see it where I'm pointing? You can write here, Baptist in Holy Spirit. Right here? So, Baptist in Holy Spirit. You can also write it here, New Covenant. You can write, God writes his commandments on our hearts, whatever you want it. That's the next, next stage. You want me to repeat one more time? Or you're okay? The last one, under the tabernacle. That what you want to write, resurrection. New beginning. Eternity. And you can write priests and kings. So I hope by now everybody understands where I'm going with it, right? So, as you will look at the tabernacle and as you look at the sheet, I want you to notice that there are many people who are called Christians. There are many people who call Christians. There are many people who accept, who accept Christ as a sacrifice for our sin. There are countless Christians. doesn't matter what the denomination. There are many, many of them. But you know what? As many and accept Jesus Christ as a sacrifice, it's great. As many of them as are baptized, it's also great. But you know where they are? They're right here at door one. God doesn't say... Appear to me once a year. He says, appear to me three times a year. He wants us to move on. Don't just stop at the first door. He says, come in. Come in as you enter in, walk in. Don't just stop here at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and think that everything is good because I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and everything is done. And people would call it the finished work at the cross. It's all done. It's not done. See, God wants us, as a king's and priest, he's at an expectation that will close to the, will cross to the second door. And just a comparison, let me give you some of the, you know, I hate to mention some other denomination, but let's use the Catholic Church. Catholic Church, for example, thinks that only the elite, the priest, should study and handle the word of God. The lay people, they're not supposed to do that. You know what God says? I don't want you to stop there. I want you to study. I want you to be knowledgeable. I want you to have, I want to have a new covenant. I want to have a relationship. I want to have a fellowship with you. I want to eat with you. Dine at the same table. Move on. Don't be separated. Don't stay back. I want you to move on. 
I'll give you another perspective to look at this, you know, salvation plan. I want you to go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm almost there. Romans chapter 8. And in verse 28. It's a well-known scripture. Romans 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he may be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, this he also called. Whom he called, this he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. So that's in this verse and also others like Ephesians 1 and on. There are big words. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. I want you to write here, just under the first door, just under the Passover at the bottom, I want you to write justification. You see where I'm going with it? All right, justification. Now under the second door, I want you to write sanctification. And now under the third door, I want you to write glorification. Each man shall appear before God three times to be justified, to be sanctified, to be glorified. Does it make sense? So, brethren, let me give you a closing scripture. And let me tell you, the sanctification process is the longest process. And there is a purpose for this process called sanctification. God wants first fruits. God wants people who will be governing this entire planet, the entire universe, people that God can depend on. What's the point of somebody giving to somebody these amendments of power, like immortality, and these people will turn out like Satan the devil? So that was this process of sanctification is the longest one, and is the harsh one. But the, older, the promise of all of this is First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, and in verse 23, Paul would writing there, and he would say, Now may the God of peace himself, and he will conclude like this, Sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So brethren, in conclusion, that's why we're here. That's why we get together. That's why we get together to encourage one another, to go the extra mile, to do the extra teaching, to come closer to God through each Sabbath. We should grow from week to week, from holiday to holiday, as we come before God each and every season, as we appear Not just that our knowledge should expand, but also our behavior, our character building should be changed from year to year. You know, the people should notice the difference when they see us, when they talk to us. Why these people are different than all the other people? So, brethren, let me, one more time, you know, as people discussed in many different religious circles what the salvation is all about, you know. When does salvation take place? You know, to me, salvation is a process. Salvation has a beginning, salvation has an ending. And you know, and God is welcoming all his people. He says, you know, don't just stop at the one door, okay? Just move on. I want you to cross to the third veil, and I want you to cross all the way. And brethren, I hope and I pray that all of us, one day, will sit one table and dine with our Savior, Jesus Christ, what he actually promised during the Passover season, that he says, next time, He will have all of it.
when he come again in the kingdom of God. May God keep you. May God bless you. Thank you so much. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.